In episode 72 of MobiCast, we dive into part two of our discussion on growing high-performing remote and international engineering teams. Welcome to MobiCast, a weekly conversation about cloud-native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris. Rich, it's another episode of MobiCast. Hey. Hey, guys. Good to be back. Good to have you back. Rich, what have you been up to? Oh, last couple of weeks, I've been recruiting another developer, looking for a front-end, you know, advanced JavaScript developer to integrate with some of the WordPress work that we're doing. So that's been that's been a challenge, just trying to find, you know, the right person at the right price point for us. When you but, first said that, I was imagining HBO's ballers, and I was imagining you, like, you know, doing all kinds of major big things to recruit the developer, like, you know, courtside tickets, concert passes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a we have a recruiter that uh, <laughs> that looks down in, in South America and Central America who we've worked oh, okay. with in the past. But the guy who we ended up, at least we're in a trial with, is in Canada. He's in my time zone too, so that'll be nice. We are first Canadian developer, so not that that really matters, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, that sounds great. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I got, uh, recently I got to do something fun and interesting and different for me. I was a guest on Brett Fisher's live YouTube channel and kind of did a, a so it's stepped out from behind the microphone in front of the video camera. So no jokes about having a face for radio versus video, please. But um, <laughs> it was it was fun and interesting. So folks want to uh, go check it out. It's Brett Fisher on YouTube, DevOps. And Brett is is very well known in the Docker community. I mean, that's how I met him at DockerCon. Yeah, I watched that and I thought you did a great job. And I thought you were very presentable. And it was fun to watch. And, and thank you for plugging MobiCast on there. And thanks, Brett, for having Chris on. It was pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah, as for me, you know, I told you a couple of weeks ago that I got that new raft. And yesterday we we found that we got both ends of the spectrum of my family's rafting capability completely taken care of. So a couple of weeks ago, we did some flat water and had a good time and splashed around and it was easy. So this weekend, we decided to do something more challenging and... <laughs> nearly drowned (laughs) (laughs) let's just say everybody was safe but there was some luck involved with being safe it really wasn't that big of a of a trip we did but i don't think we're going to go back to it (laughs) it's good good to know your limits (laughs) at least not so the kids are a little older but yeah we had fun so today we're going to talk about remote developers again could be remote in the u.s or remote international and last time we talked about how you and i chris have come to work with remote developers and you know it was for me it was a story of doing that over my whole career and for you it was a more recent story so i was really interested in talking to you about that because you coming to it more recently just sort of have that you know new eyes for it whereas as you know i'm so close to it i can't really see the difference almost it's like i don't know what it's been so many years since i haven't worked with remote developers sort of all the time that that it's interesting just to see somebody who's new to it who's who's used to working with local teams and how that changes your perspective on things. So that was fun. And basically, we're still testing this hypothesis that we believe that the time that people spend on high-performing teams, and there's nothing to say that remote teams can't be high-performing, they absolutely can. But we believe that the time that people spend working on high-performing teams is a big indicator on their software development skills and ability. And so, and we also think that even though there's no reason that remote developers can't be high performing, that 
it's a little more difficult to get there. That there's not sort of the support infrastructure for remote developers to to change, you know, to learn the same things that somebody that's working at Netflix or Microsoft might learn. And so today we'll get into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of what you did specifically, Chris, with the Kelsis team when you got on board to help turn it from a mid to high level performing team to a to more of a high performing team. Yeah, so let's let's go ahead and get started. Maybe you can kick us off with that, Chris. So as you mentioned, it was like my background had been more with co-located folks on teams, a, a broad spectrum of, of different companies and teams that I'd been in. Coming into Kelsis, definitely quite different with a team that was thousands of miles away and really only kind of communi- communicating via, via instant messaging and video calls and, and whatnot. So, you know, kind of co- coming in, just taking a, a survey of the land, kind of understanding the culture, looking and kind of spending some time just figuring out like, okay, what are the, what is the, the current culture that's in place? What are, you know, learning a bit more about these, this, this new team that I'm, that I'll be working with, you know, what are the, what are the strengths? And and then also what are some, some things that we can, we can work on. And so we, we talked a little bit about this in the previous, you know, episode where there's some really great, there were some really great core strengths there just from like a cultural attitude standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. So very much a team oriented atmosphere, very collaborative, very receptive to mentoring and and learning new things, um, not very big egos. So all just really, really great things. But um, on the other hand, not the the tech stack and some of the processes and whatnot, definitely not what I was used to at at other teams that I had worked with, and so that was the, the the challenge: is how do we go? You know, given this virtual remote team that's that's thousands of miles away, start how do how do we leverage those those strengths, those really great assets, to bring it up a level and kind of just level 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 everyone up? Right, and right. So, so that was the the first part: is just getting a survey of the land, understanding the team, understanding their personalities. It, like we talked about. Previously, it was very, the timing was fortuitous and then I, we had our offsite retreat down in uh, Uruguay and we all got to hang out for a week. So it was really great kind of solidifying those, those relationships and kicking it off from there. So, you know, one of the, at that point in time, things like we weren't really using the cloud heavily or as heavily as we could, things like we weren't really using containerization and Docker at that point. We had a very strong um, background in developing mobile apps and mm-hmm. um, starting to get more into the into web apps, but still not really having a core strength in like just running distributed systems and backend services. And then also just this idea of running and operating production software was was not really there as well. So those are the things kind of looking at it. it's like, okay, how do we go ahead and and start you know teaching and mentoring? And building those strengths on the team to really complete that and turn them from, as you said, you know, mid to high to really a, a world class development team. Right, right. So yeah, let's just talk about remote teams in general for a sec because I think that I, we need to dispel some rumors, and I think our listeners probably don't have the same rumors that are out there in the market. But you know, it's like why remote teams in the first place? And I think you know the rumor, the the, the thing we need to dispel is it's not because it's cheaper. That is not the only thing, and it not doesn't necessarily end up cheaper. In fact, a lot of times, 
a remote team can can cause quite a bit more spend if it's not done well. So that, you know, getting cheaper developers is not really, that's not the answer. That's not like, if you're doing that, you're doing, you're doing software development for the wrong reasons. So yeah, maybe just to add, I think a lot of people that like, that is their mindset, right? That's what they go into. Yeah, for. It's yeah, like, yeah. you know, I, I want to save money. So I'm going to go have a remote offshore team. Right. Mm-hmm. And as you point out, it's like, it's not the, that's not the best way to look at it. Um, and yeah. you may actually, you're probably going to get bit pretty bad. I mean, we've all seen the memes of, mm-hmm. you know, what happens when you hire the amateur versus the the professional mm-hmm. you know, type thing. So it's, there are other really good reasons for having a remote remote distributed team. Um, the thing I've been saying recently, Chris, and the, and I honestly believe this is like with a developer shortage in the United States and with the way that the United States works, where top talent is really attracted to sort of top companies, be it startup unicorns or well-established companies like Netflix and Google and Facebook and Amazon, Apple, the top tier of developers in the United States is, is almost entirely spoken for that. I mean, not entirely. There's ob- you know obviously really great developers that are working for some consulting companies in the United States, but let's say you have 100 top developers. I would say 80 to 90% of them are going to be more interested in working for those top tier U.S. companies than, than not, right? So that leaves you with you know only 10 or 20% of the top developers even available for non-top tier work in the United States. Would you agree with that, Chris? I would say definitely in the U.S. market, in the top 20 cities of metro areas, you know, where, where the jobs are and tech is strong, you don't have to be a great developer. If you're a good developer, you're hired, you're, you have a job and you're probably switching jobs every two or three years for pay raises, right? And so it's a retention is a is a is a challenge for for a lot of companies and they just kind of realize like it's just kind of a constant flow just because everyone's just moving around to the next best offer mm-hmm. type thing. Mm-hmm. So definitely definitely true in those those top 20 25 markets. You yeah, get- and those, those developers are largely attracted to brands and money. So Slack mm-hmm. just came into Denver, they had an open house last week and it was like well attended, believe mm-hmm. me. Yeah, and and there is this other uh, I know that like in the valley especially there's the mental like people are like they see all the the wealth that's been generated there right and just all the the multimillionaires and billionaires and so a lot of folks they'll go join a startup and as soon as they start smelling like this startup's not going to pan out it's not going to be the big home run they go on to some other one and so it's not just the current offer or buzz but also just like hey is this going to be the the big home run if it's not i'm moving on right so if you go to the non-top 20 cities in the United States or other non-top cities of the world, so, you know, not London, not Buenos Aires, not Sao Paulo, but like other places. So for Kelsus, that's Resistencia in Argentina or Corrientes in Ar- Argentina, but other places where there are, you know, just by the laws of nature, there are super smart people, super capable people living there. But they just those same companies are not hiring in those locations. All of a sudden, you have a greater percentage of those super smart people available to potentially do work. So it actually is easier to find and and hire really good, intelligent, you know, great developers in those places than it is to go to San Francisco and hire somebody for your new startup project or hire somebody for your middle sort of mid-size enterprise project. Absolutely. I mean, supply and demand, right? So it's mm-hmm. just 
you know, in the, you know, top tier cities, like the, the demand is extremely high and the supply is pretty much fixed and um, demand out, outstrips supply versus in those other places, the demand is not as high just because it doesn't have the ecosystems there in place. Right. But thanks to technology, now we can, we can get beyond that and we can tap into that. And I think that's right. That's the nut here that we're, we're talking about. Right. And so I would say slightly, unfortunately, there is there is a bit of a higher bar when hiring remote. I think there are people that can be really successful in on-site types of companies that have a hard time working remotely. So maybe if you could talk a little bit about some of the attributes of somebody that that can work remotely successfully, Chris. There's there's quite a quite a few things here that kind of goes into it, but a lot of it is actually not really like. Remote specific, yeah. Or, or, and not, well, not only that, it, it's not it's not really even like you know hardcore tech specific exactly. necessarily, right? Exactly. So it's like soft skills are really really important when it comes to being working on a remote team, right? So it's when you're physically located, co-located with someone, being able to to read body language and communicating face to face. You don't have to be as as adept, right, with some of those with some of those soft skills. Versus if you're communicating, you know, via via text or um, instant messaging or or even video calls, right? It's just you you have to be more empathetic. You have to have you just have to have those 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 better soft skills. So that's definitely one of the things that goes into being a really good a remote team player is you, you need high EQ, so emotional intelligence need to have a bit you know more balance to balancing out the technical with the with the emotional good communication skills are just so important right because this is you're going to be spending a lot of your time just doing that right or just communicating with your with your teammates that are spread all over the place and you know letting them know what's going on and um, what you're working on when you have problems like getting the help you know not being careful with your communication and, and clear and concise with your communication so that you're not send you know, people don't read it the wrong way. And then you start, you know, creating problems that way. So, so good communication, really, really important. You know, another thing that's obviously pretty big here is the ability to work independently. So managing your time when you commit to things, actually doing them. So standing by like what people are expecting of you not getting distracted really even though that you're not physically co-located with the rest of your team i mean everyone sh- you know we're all we're still here to to get a job done so i think that, comes, that goes along with that trust too it's like when you work by yourself on your own somehow signaling you know and, and by actual work getting done but also by your presence and by your kind of letting people know when you're coming and going like that builds some trust with the people that you're working with that, that you're focused and, and care about the job. Yeah, absolutely. Some other attributes, just that growth mindset and realizing that continuous learning is, is, is very important. And then as part of that, you have to be an expert learner, right? You have to know how to learn and, and be able to, to self-teach and, and learn new technologies and new skills and keeping up to date with what's going on in the whole community. And for some people, that's that's hard, right? So it's a lot. Some people, it's just a lot easier just to, like, tell me what to do, right? And, and I can sit through training classes or something like that, or, you know, maybe it's going to a conference. But if you're on a remote team, it becomes, a, it's definitely much more self-directed and 
And it's kind of up to you. The, the onus is on you to, to, to do that kind of self-development. So, mm-hmm. and then, you know, definitely things like a positive attitude help out, go, go a long way here. I mean, that, you know, there's a lot of overlap, obviously, with like folks that are not remote. <laughs> right. None of these things would hurt in a, in a local job, right? They, they really, right. It's just the, the, the magnifying lens just, just makes these much more critical, I think, mm-hmm. with, with remote players. So, and then just awareness and sensitivity to your other teammates and other cultures and, and whatnot. So, you know, there's just that, the idea that we are a team, there is a lot of collaboration. There's really no room for the really super smart, arrogant jerk. Like that's, that's way too high of a cost. So we want to have fun while working together. We need to do it as adults and, and, and play well with, with each other. And so again, those soft skills really come into play here. Right. I just want to repeat one of those one more time because it's so critical is the, is the communication, the written and verbal communication skills. It's like, I was as you were talking about that. I was thinking back through many of the best developers that I've worked with, and thought, you know, some of them maybe weren't really any better technically than some other than some other people that I that that didn't come to mind right away. So maybe they're, you know, maybe if you were measured, it would be like how hard of problems can you solve? How many user stories are you getting in what amount of time with how how few bugs kind of thing. And how maintainable is your code at the end of it all? Like if that if those were sort of the measurements, you know, if two people were equal on all of those technical things, I'm definitely putting the one that is is better able to communicate what they're working on and and the problems that are arising and the and the things that are going on in their mind significantly higher than the one that can't. So that's just so critical. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So you know, we were lucky enough that when you joined, I think many of the team members, if not most, had had these things going on. And so we just needed to make some adjustments. So yeah, I guess, what are some of the things that we did to kind of cultivate those, what we were good at and work on what we needed work on? Right. Yeah. And this kind of goes back to what we talked about in the previous episode, where my initial impressions, I was was a bit blown away by just like the culture and the team and, and basically just all these attributes that we just went through, like these were these were present, right? Mm-hmm. Um, present and accounted for um, on the team. So just a really great place to a baseline to, to start with. So it's like, okay, how do we now, what's, what's the growth plan, growth plan look like, right? How do we now level up our team to, you know, be, have them be more cloud native to, to learn Docker and containerization and why they should do it and, and how to do it and how to operate that. How do they become better back-end distributed system developers? Well, how do we get them to start taking this the, the mentality of it's not just delivering software, but it, now it's also like running production software. What does that mean? So that was the the next step. Is like, okay, what? How are we going to do that? Like, how are we going to to level folks up? And what does that growth plan look like? And so part of this will be a little bit of a recap. We we talked a bit about this back in episode fifty five where we were discussing like do these seven things to become a great software developer and we talked a little bit about what we're doing at Kelsis to I deliver this growth plan to our developers but I think it it's important enough that we can we can go through it in a bit more detail here you know what we what we set up so I, I think maybe to start off with the the very you know one of the biggest things that was done is just about with any I think leading by doing is mm-hmm. is really important here Right. And not just kind of like 
telling people what to do, but to actually, you know, show them, you know, how to do mm-hmm. it as well and to, to roll up the sleeves and get in there with them. And so, you know, one of the very first things we did was like, well, let's, let's, you know, let's introduce Docker and containers. So let's take some of these, these applications, these web apps that have been built and go ahead and, and containerize them and, and get those running in prod as, as containers. And that's always a big step, right? Teaching, teaching your develop, you know, teaching a team that hasn't been using Docker and containers to now deal with that abstraction and just all the tooling that goes along with it, the developer mindset. And we've, we've covered this in previous episodes as well, right? Like that's a big culture shift and process shift, but and for it to come a little bit top down was kind of was kind of critical, I think. So a lot of things, a lot of changes, you want to sort of get the team to to kind of champion the change because then it'll stick better. But I think this one, it had to be a little bit top down. It had to be like, hey, team, I'm Chris. You know, good to meet you all. This is really important to me. I'm, you know, sorry, but I'm your new boss, so we're doing this. And here, I'll get it. I'll kick it off. And you could kind of do the same with a lot of different things. Like maybe if if it hadn't been Docker and containers, it could have been you know, well-written unit tests. Hey, I'm going to, you know, write the first 10 unit mm-hmm. tests, take a look at how I did that and see how they, they're put together and kind of use them as a template. But we're doing this from now on. As opposed to, I think I think what I've seen, you know, and I, I don't mean for this to be a, an episode just for managers, but, but I think it makes sense for people that are listening as managers and also for people that are listening as individual contributors. Like, this is what you want to see in your managers in order to get, in order to make changes inside your team. Like, by doing it, you indicate how important it is and that you're willing to spend time on it. Where, like, if somebody's like, hey, is everybody writing unit tests? People might be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they've, and meanwhile, they're literally commented out of the CI CD system because ain't nobody got time for that, right? Like, that happens if, if it's not clearly important to the leadership. And so, Docker and containerization mm-hmm. was clearly important to you. So, you took the time to work on it and make it part of the CI CD system. Yeah. Hey, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 50,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head over to iTunes and leave us a review and or a rating. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. Yeah, I think it's important to let people know, like, to really, I mean, you're, it's kind of your job to, to sell them, right, on the mm-hmm. vision, and like, why, why this is important. It's not mm-hmm. just here, we have to do this. It's like, well, mm-hmm. but why? What's the benefit? Why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Right? And so, so definitely, that that's the key part of just about all this, these, these particular things that we've, we've introduced with our team with this, with this growth plan. So whether it be, Switching to Docker, Docker and containers. You know, one of one of the things right after that, or concurrently, we did with that was code reviews. I think you know, up in, when I first came on, there may have been a, some code review process, but it, it definitely wasn't treated as a first class citizen. Right. And so, that's one of the things that just kind of immediately stuck out as well. And so, well, let's let's take this more seriously and let's really do a good job with, with code reviews and, you know, what does that look like? And so again, that was, you know, rolling up the sleeves and getting in there and, and spending a lot of time myself doing code reviews and kind of showing people the difference between, you know, a, a thorough, valuable code review versus, you know, one that's, it's really just kind of like checking off the, the check boxes type thing. And it's, also kind of giving that rationale, like, why are we doing this? And 
I think in the future, we'll probably revisit this in depth as well, because I think code reviews are one of those things for me personally that um, I came around on. In right, years, right. In probably years past. at one point. Yeah. Well, I, I think I was, you know, maybe a little bit chip on the shoulder, just kind of thing, I, like, oh, I don't need code. Like, my code's perfect, right? Right, um, right. And like, it's just, it's just slowing things down and whatnot. Right. And it, it, it made, I mean, a lot of things I was working more, like I had big, big pieces of stuff and it was really just like, I, I was the primary developer. I wasn't working on, on large teams. So the more you're working together as a team, the more people that are on the team and it becomes even just much more critical. So I think, you know, something to talk about in the future, but, you know, here at, at Kels's, it was definitely instrumental in, again, this growth plan for our developers is just by doing these thorough code reviews, pointing out like just really key topics, whether it be things like the importance of error validation server side, right? Like not trusting any inputs, even if like the only clients accessing this might be, clients that we're writing, you still have to be very paranoid about that and sanitize your your inputs on the server. Things like, you know, what do you do when errors do happen? You know, how do you handle that? Security type issues, readability, maintainability, you know, coding standard. I mean, all that those kind of things, um, just kind of like some core key principles that really go a long way into, you know, dealing with some of these challenges we have of leveling up. So code reviews were definitely a big a big important part of that process. I guess, Chris, one of the things that's occurred to me as you're talking about this is that there there may be some folks listening that are like, yeah, you know, I could use I could use some of this direction, and I wish I had you know a manager who's been in been in and fought the hard fights and and worked in a high performing team and knows everything, knows all the best practices, and can teach me. And then there may be other people that are like, yeah, hey, I know this stuff, you know, like if I had a boss telling me to do this stuff, I'd be like, come on, you know, I'm not a baby. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's really important to point out that what you were faced with was was sort of raw talent that needed some needed some just kind of being pulled up by their bootstraps help. I'm like, look, everybody, this is how this is how high performing teams run, and this is what we do. And I'm going to lead by example. But for people that that maybe kind of beyond that, that are doing code reviews and that you know have a nice Git flow model and you know, maybe they're maybe they're not looking for their manager to do this so much as as lead from within. Like, hey, hey, manager, this is how we're we're taking care of ourselves and making sure that we're a high performing team. Like, support us on this. So that so I just wanted to just point out, and, and maybe too subtle for a podcast, but it comes back to the leadership thing. When you see a team that needs that needs kind of direction, leading by example, exactly like you did, working with raw talent and giving them the what they need to to succeed is how you do it. And and then when you're working with a team that that kind of knows already and just giving them the the room is what they need. So mm-hmm. manager yeah, I mean, yeah. anyone can be a leader, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just have to yeah. you just have to, you know, step up and take that initiative. So it doesn't have to be Mr. Manager. Right, right. You know, it can be someone else on the team. And and you know, I mean, for the most part, there is a difference between a manager and a leader, right? And mm-hmm. there's there's reasons for having both in your organization. Mm-hmm. So Great it's point. just you know, it just depends on your particular situation and whatnot, but someone has to do it, right? Right. And someone has, if, if you see a team that's not doing these things, that's not, you know, not acting like a high-performing team or not got all the, the pieces and parts in place that a high-performing team would have, then somebody, exactly, somebody has to take that leadership role. Yeah, yeah. And if, I mean, and, and you might have teams that say, well, like, well, we don't need to do all this because we are already a high, high-performing team and, 
it's like at that point, then you're just saying, well, we're perfect, right? We can improve. Mm -hmm. It's like, ask yourself, really? Is that true? Right. And it kind of goes back to that story I told about, you can actually kind of get away with it without doing any of this stuff. If you have a bunch of really talented people that are super smart, you can get away with it for a short amount of time and, Mm -hmm. and you can deliver a lot quickly. And there are maybe even times when that's valuable, right? Like, let's throw out all the process and crank out some code for two months. Yeah, maybe every once in a while that's worth it. But you have to know what you're doing and it has to be a decision and not a default mode. Right. Yeah. So so in addition to the kind of like the leading by example, showing showing people, giving them the rationale, like why we should be doing things this, these, these new ways, code reviews. I think one of the next things that we did was institute this concept of a, of a monthly engineering team meeting where we kind of dive deep on a on a particular topic as just part of the overall learning training process right so we just figured we made the decision like this was this was important enough that we're going to carve out the time we're going to do it on a regular basis and it's it's proved to be one of those things that i think you know for the most part it's it's been valuable right it hasn't been a waste of time it's uh, we've had a lot of interesting discussions and we've covered a lot of, of pretty important topics and it's, it's been a useful, a useful addition to that, to that growth plan for our developers. Mm-hmm. I would say in addition to that, really pushing for having some of these technical conversations in our Slack has been useful. So you don't have secret meetings and direct messages, but actually talk through some issues in Slack and let people see it. And kind of along the same lines, because that's a lot of times that's what we do in the monthly engineering team session is talk through problems that we solved. So having that happen more than once a month, just kind of on a daily basis, has been huge for the team. Yeah, and it, it, that, that kind of goes getting back to the, the communication skills. And I think with remote teams, especially like this is one of my pet peeves just be really wary of having one-to-one conversations with people because it's even the impact of that is is magnified with a remote team versus in a co-located situation so like if you're in the hallway or in someone's office like chance are there's other people around and having a true private one-to-one that aren't really being able to, to take part in or at least just hear what's going on is less likely versus if you're in Slack and doing a DM, like the point-to-point communication, then no one else sees that, right? So it could be something that's really valuable for the rest of the team or other people to learn from. So having it in a public channel that others can can see and kind of just going through that process is, it's great for just so many reasons, whether it be learning or getting other ideas, other perspectives, or you know maybe tips on just how to fix it. Right. So super and important. Just straight up visibility too. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. straight up like, look, these people are working and talking about this. Yeah. It's just it just helps. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, another thing we did, we started doing one-on-one meetings. Maybe talk a little bit about why we did that. Yeah. So this this happened about a, a year into that process, and it kind of kicked it off at our annual company retreat, where you know leading leading up into that into that particular retreat, I know we were thinking about like, well. You know, how can we be more mindful and, and kind of be a bit more structured around the growth of, of developers and, and kind of realizing that, you know, there are definitely certain traits, characteristics, aspects that and, and members of our team that we that we really want to encourage and we value. Like what what is what do we as as Kelsis as an engineering team value and what do we want to how do we want to see people to grow? 
and kind of realize that we need a, a bit of a framework here to kind of like to actually formalize that so that people have a they know what they need to be working towards and so we kind of started off laying out a kind of a, a matrix for you know these are the different kind of levels if you will of developers and here's the characteristics and kind of like what the their scope of influence is and kind of like the 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 activities that they're they're capable of doing and 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 whatnot and so that led to the genesis of doing of having now like these these one-on-one sessions so you know the intent was is meet regularly individually with our with our teammates and kind of go through this and and use this as a as a guideline for how what's their personal their own customized personal development plan look like how are how do they want to grow i think that's kind of evolved over time and um, especially with me personally definitely take a more customized even more customized flexible approach in that it's the most important i think the most important thing is just that personal development and really kind of understanding each each person and and how they want to grow what's important to them and then you know also giving them feedback and 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 guidance on you know making them the best the best developer or team member whatever it is their role is that they can be here at Kelsis. so you know it's 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 kind of evolved into this let's talk about like how you want to how you want to grow, what are some of your, you know, what are some of your objectives longer term, and then breaking those down into shorter term objectives. So have some goals. Let's, let's assign, let's, so let's create some, let's have some concrete goals. Let's have some dates attached to them. And then we'll regularly work on this and checkpoint over these, these one-on-one sessions. And so I've noticed like with the, the folks that I've been talking with, some common goals have been to become certified like AWS and the various certification levels that they have there. So do things like, hey, go, this is, uh, you know, one of the topics that you're going to have to be able to really know inside and out for one of those exams. So go do a deep dive on it. Um, and then for our next session, come back and teach me it as if I don't know anything about it. Right. And so have them go through and, and just really describe that in, in, in detail. And then I can ask questions back and forth about it. And it, it's been a really useful way for them to, to practice for these exams and to get in. So it's been really rewarding too, to see folks go on and actually then sit for their exam and pass it and, and see the excitement and the, and them, and then just that, that pride in passing the exam. Um, for sure. And it's, it, it affects the whole team. It's great. Yeah. And you know, that's, another, that's it. Like, that's the point. Like high-performing yeah. teams infect each other to to get even better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I another common one has been just improving English skills. So, like we've talked, our our team is based in in Argentina. So Spanish is the is the first language. English is the is the second. Everyone speaks English and actually speaks it pretty darn well, but. They all can improve, and they all. I think you just about everyone that I've dealt with. I don't know about, about you, John, but I mean, just everyone I've dealt with. They they've identified this is that they know it's really important, and it is true. Like and being in the software development world, to have the exposure to the most opportunities, like English is the lingua franca. Mm-hmm. So, and we talked about how important communication skills are. So, being able to communicate in English adeptly is really important. Yes. And so we we spent a lot of time just, okay, how do you get, what does that mean to improve your English skills? Like, how are you going to measure that? How are you going to know you've gotten better? And so having some some goals and some metrics around that. And then there's a whole slew of different practices and activities people can do. And so we've spent a lot of time just going through that. 
And that's been very, very interesting and rewarding as well to see people just grow. And, and, and every time it becomes easier to, to communicate and talk with them. Right, right. You know, I was just listening yesterday to, I can't remember, Hidden Brain or something like that, one of those NPR podcasts. No, it was uh, it was a different one. But anyway, it was it was about baseball coaching and about how in the last five years or so, there's been that, you know, after Moneyball, where teams were made with statistics, now coaching, individual coaching is done with, with instant feedback loops. And for the first time ever, people, you know, people used to always kind of think, well, you know, you might get a little bit better after you're a major league player, but you're essentially, you're, the die is cast, like this is the kind of player you're going to be. And if you're a medium level hitter, that's, you're always going to be a medium level hitter. But as soon as they like did this, the type of practice that you're talking about that has, you know, very quick feedback cycles and lets you adjust and learn and have intentional practice, even major league players were significantly changing their capability. So I can't say enough. I mean, mm-hmm. like about how important it is to have intentional practice. Yeah. I think part of that is that growth mindset too, right? right. Like I think right. it's like, you know, a big part of that, like especially with the baseball example, is like people just said, like, oh, I'm a mediocre they've been they've been typecast, right? They're a mediocre mm-hmm. hitter and they're there for their arm, right? Or they're there right. for their fielding ability. And so that's what they practice on is their fielding. And even then, they don't necessarily get better at it. And like, it seems like they can even get better at fielding. Like, that's what they're there for at their professional level. But even that, they can get better at. Yeah. Yeah. So it it totally applies here to, you know, team building and and leveling up as a developer. Like, identify what those those goals are that you want to improve on. Said, and like, this is not like, this is not groundbreaking, right? This is not rocket science, but. But it is. This is this is groundbreaking. Like our, we were not talking like this ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Yeah. Now we are, and th- that's what's the, that's the new ground. This is yeah. what's possible. But yeah. once you know it, it's like, oh, that's obvious, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And just doing it, right? Just sticking to it. Like you have to kind of hold yourself accountable, right? You can't just say you're going to do something and set goals and then just like, well, it was busy. I was busy these last three weeks, so I didn't do anything. It's like you really have to make it a priority. And if you're going to, if you are going to do it, if you, if you have identified this as being a goal, that's, that's important. And you do, you are going to commit to it, then commit and make time for it. So that's been another big thing that I've been working with folks is just how do you treat it as such, right? Like you need to carve this time out on your calendar, right? It's, it's, it's important and you need to treat it as such. It's not like this, it's not a hobby, right? It's not a, like a nice to have. Think of it as a must have. Right. Yeah. And so we also give people access to online training and I found that online training, you know, goes back to this intentionality, online training without intentionality is almost makes people worse. Like then now all of a sudden they're just chasing shiny courses, doing 20% of each shiny course. And then they know a little, like, not enough to be really useful at anything. So th- these are like Pluralsight courses, and Udemy and Udacity courses that people take. And it's just like, ah, come on. You know, if those, they can be great. They can be really useful in an intentional practice. But otherwise, you might as well watch TV. If you're, if you're you know, like, like just go watch a cool series uh, that's really fun instead of like spending a little bit of time kind of dorking around on Udemy, not really learning anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So online training can be great with a, with the right learning mindset, but otherwise, you know, don't spend your time on it without that learning mindset. Yeah. Like as you, as you point out, like be intentional, like understand like why you should be doing that training, right? It's gotta be 
you've got to identify with it and you've got to understand like the value to it and the practicality of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and a lot of, the, a lot of it is because it's shiny, like, Oh, this AI thing would be so cool. But, but like, yeah, it would be cool, but just be aware, you know, are you going to really do that? Are you really going to, you know, starting down that road is great, but realize that that road is a long road. It could take a couple of years before you're really an AI expert. And mm-hmm. once you are, are you planning on making that your career? Right. And so that's great. You know, go all in. Just don't go in 5, 10, 15% in because you're, right. you're just wasting time. Exactly. Yeah, right. and maybe the the last thing we can talk about is just the offsite retreats yeah, that yeah. we that we instituted, right? And you know, I I think uh, this might have been an excuse for you, John, to say like, hey, I'm going to go surfing in some really cool part of the world. But it's turned. I mean, it's 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 one of those things that's just a really it's an awesome tool for us. Again, being a completely remote distributed team to get together in person one time a year, hang out for a week and having it be a combination of a bunch of different activities. So it's things like, you know, we're, we're doing just hanging out and just doing team building, but then we also have lectures and we also have workshops. We're doing, we're doing learning, right? We're, we're doing that, that, that mentorship and, and getting better as a team and, and having everyone together in the same room there's some things that we can do just a lot better. And that's kind of grown over these. I think we've done, we've done three of these retreats now. Mm-hmm. And I think each one gets a bit more, more streamlined, more productive, more engaging, and it's become key to the arsenal. Right. Right. And you know, two thirds of the time, the surf hasn't really been that good anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's, that's uh, it's either, it's either too little surf or like the waves are just monster. Right. 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 All right. Well, thanks so much, Chris. And thanks for putting this together, Rich. I'll I'll give you one more closing argument if you'd like, Chris. Yeah, just again, just to sum it up a little bit, just remote teams and and distributed teams and international teams have challenges, but they're also, there's just a lot of really great advantages to them as well. And so kind of putting together that, that growth plan, having that intent behind it is, can pay off immensely. And Talent is is global, so don't limit yourself by by geographic boundaries. Just again, using some of these 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 techniques has is, is, has been just incredibly rewarding for us, and can be for anyone else. Right. Yep. We can have a high performing team, and and you can too. And and I think that we may be looking in the future at at helping other people be, you know, have this experience. So stand by. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you next week. All right. See you guys. Bye. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources is available at mobicast.fm forward slash seven two. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you. And we'll see you again next week.